1: Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Gary Neville, the very jubilant Gary Neville podcast. (laughs) Gary, you've just seen your beloved Manchester United win the Manchester derby against the runaway league leaders. Uh, What are your
2: immediate thoughts? I'm shocked, you know, because I I don't know. I think I've done the last three or four Manchester United games and I think done the last two with you at Chelsea and uh, Sellers Park you coming out of that ground at Sellers Park on Wednesday night. I think actually after the game, I did an interview back into the studio and I said I thought United would be better here today for a number of reasons. One, it's a derby, just the reaction to what happened on Wednesday. And secondly, they actually are suited to play against teams that come at them. But I never expected this. And, you know, waking up this morning, never expected this. And it wasn't just the fact that, you know, United couldn't win here today. They could. You know, they have done. They had a good record here the last 12 to 18 months but it was the way in which they won the sort of way they've gone about the game they look so drained in the last couple of weeks and you just think where have they got the energy to be able to play the way they did yeah they might sit back they might ride the look, they might get a goal on the counter-attack City could get somebody sent off all those things that you think in your Manchester United fans head this morning when you're thinking about the glass being half full but they pushed up the pitch. Maybe the first goal helped them in that first minute. But did that come from actually the attitude
1: that they showed for the rest of the game?
2: Well, if you look at the sort of build-up to the first goal, all the Manchester United players are compact, they're tight together, the defence is up the pitch and they're all around the play and they're picking up loose balls. And that was the same for the first 20 minutes of the game, I felt. United, really good. The back four, really brave. I've said that Manchester United will not win this league unless the back four push up the pitch and feel a little uncomfortable with the space that's left behind them. And I think they're starting to do it a little bit. There's signs in games where today, definitely, in that first 15 minutes, they were brave. Not just brave, actually, out of possession in pushing up. I thought they got on the ball as well, and they popped it into midfield. So many teams play against City. And they get pushed back into the sort of defensive third. And then when they get the ball, they pass back to the keeper and run up the pitch and take the easy option. United didn't do that today. Um, Probably 15 minutes before half time, City started to come on top. And you thought, here we go, this is the sort of pattern of the game to come. But then the second half, United were even better than the first. Certainly for the first 25 minutes of the second half, they were the better team. Um, City had that one chance, Rodri, just after half time where he hits the bar. But after that, United dominated dominated on the ball, dominated out of the ball. They should have scored three and four goals. Martial had uh, uh, two really good chances. Rashford should have hit one that I think, to be fair, if he would hit it, he'd have had a great chance of scoring. So, no, I'm I'm a little delirious at this moment in time because I just didn't expect what I was going to see today because you don't think a team can come from here which they have been, really, in the last couple of weeks, to there and produce that type of performance. And City have been outstanding this last couple of months.
1: How much was it down to the fact that nine of the 11 played in a very similar, uh, another win here, over a year ago, some 15 months ago, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seemed to remember that I don't think it was a coincidence that uh, the team, that Lindelof came back into it, and that that was one change, and obviously Martial, who didn't play at Crystal Palace, played a pivotal role in it, do you think that had a a bearing on on how they went about the business, because they know they'd done it here before?
2: I think it helps definitely if you've got good experiences at a game, or in a game, and you've won away at places, that definitely helps um, and Manchester United do have a go-to team. You know, they have done now for two years. McTominay and Fred, they play in all the big games. Lindelof and Maguire, I know there's a big cry over the last few weeks and months, and maybe at times I've thought myself, well, why does Baye not come in alongside Maguire? But Lindelof plays in the big games, always alongside Maguire, and they played really well today, by the way, both of them. So there are sort of what would be patterns that emerge in Manchester United's sort of selection when they play against big teams, and they have one here that it's a peculiar record, Pep Guardiola dominates most managers that he plays against but Ole the Solskjaer now has got the better of him uh, and, you know, City are a better team, the points in the table tell you that, but something that Manchu, those Manchester United players have inside gives them that confidence to think they can come here to the Etihad and win, and you just think of it, I'm I'm, I'm I'm, flipping between analyst and Manchester United fan and I'm thinking, you know, why not at Anfield a few weeks ago and Liverpool were done? Everyone's winning at Anfield now. Why not go for it? At Chelsea last week, you think, go on, just show a little bit more intent to go and win the game. You know, Arsenal, other games that we've seen where you thought just a little bit, you know, they could have been closer. You know, they were closer at one point. But look, we know they're not quite ready yet and that's proven over the last couple of months. But what that does give you is a little bit of something that actually finish the season well and I've talked today about finishing a poor second or a good second you know a poor second is whereby it just phases out to the end of the season it becomes a little bit of a poor league City win it easily you end up 20 points off and you're nowhere near still whereas actually if they can go and get within sort of seven or eight points of Manchester City it will count for something It will definitely count for something. When Liverpool were chasing City down over that two or three, four years, they were getting closer every single year. So these 10 games that Manchester United have left are really important. They've got to finish a good second if they're going to finish second. I mean, they could be caught by Leicester and other teams, but I do think they are the second best team in the country this season. So if they're not to finish second would be a real problem. But if they're going to finish second, big good second, not a poor second.
1: Talk to me about Luke Shaw, because you've worked with him, you've tried to help him and he's had some downs with managers, downs with injuries. Here he is enjoying a truly outstanding season and and wrapping up the
2: win, really. Uh, He's been outstanding this season for United. A Luke Shaw fit, a Luke Shaw physically good, and a Luke Shaw confident is the best left back in the country, in my opinion. But, all those three things being combined at once has probably only happened at certain moments in his career. And that's been a problem for him. Happened under Pochettino at uh, Southampton. A little period here under Van Gaal. I can remember a few years ago where I felt as though he started to build that sort of confidence in those three areas. But certainly this is the best period that he's had. Um We've seen him in the last week or two just go down in a couple of games like he's just on the edge a little bit. And that would worry me if I was all in a soul shy. You might be looking at him and thinking, well, do I keep him going because he's playing and actually you know, bringing him off the roundabout would make it worse. And then he obviously might get injured. But I just think this, how they handle him in the next few weeks is important. Gareth Southgate will be watching him intently thinking, well, I know Luke Shaw. I've seen him before. And
1: he's almost given up on Luke Shaw. He
2: had, Mm. and he can't give up on him now. I mean, he's, he's, he's staring right at him and thinking, well, that is the best performing left back in the country at the moment in terms of English left back. So for me, what he's done today, I mean, he could have scored in the first half, but he's physically right. He's mentally right. And he's clear of injury. So everything's right for Luke Shaw because he is an amazing talent. You know, he's a brilliant talent. And, uh, Physically, he's good. He's got a good height about him. Maybe that's deceiving. People don't realise at home that he's actually very good in the air. He's got a good leap on him. Uh, He can play left-side centre-back, and he did that actually for the last few minutes of the game. It's a little bit like John Stones. Both of them have had the best periods in their career, but they've they've got to do it season in, season out for two or three seasons for us to start to really trust that this is the breakthrough. This is the moment where they go from potential... To letting you down a little bit, to potential, to letting you down, to potential, to here we go. They are now recognising what they are as the potential that they've got and being really good, brilliant players over a period of two or three seasons.
1: For City, a bump in the road. That's all.
2: Yeah, it'll be a wound for them. They'll they'll, they'll be hurting tonight, Manchester City. Pep Guardiola, they'll be they'll be wounded by that because they'll have thought today before the game. You know, this is the moment whereby we really sort of ram it home. You know, when you've got someone on the floor, you just finish them off. And they've not, you know, Manchester United leave here tonight thinking, oh, here we go. And Manchester City are going to win the league and it's not going to change the dynamic of the season, but it'll just affect the mood a little bit in Pep Guardiola's dressing room for the next few days. You know, they'll feel a little bit down about this. The fact that Manchester United have come here and done this to them because it wasn't just... smash and grab there were large parts of this game where united were really good and could have scored more goals so it'll wound them but i think in the end you know he'll get over it pep guardiola because i think he's going to go and win the league again three and four um but manchester united it's all about how they finish the season they've got to really think about how they catch this manchester city team in the long term you know winning today is a it'll make them feel good tonight and city will feel like i say bad about it But at the end of the season, it'll be Manchester City lifting that Premier League trophy. And those Manchester United players have got to work out and the manager about how they get to that point whereby they're on that podium. Because that's the only thing that matters. You know, there were many times during the season whereby playing at Manchester United, we lost games against our rivals. But at the end, we were holding the trophy up and no one remembered those games that you lost in. You effectively just remembered who won the trophy. So, yeah, short term gain for Manchester United today and, and a good moment for them and a surprising moment from where they've been this week in the performances uh, and for City yeah they'll have to pick themselves up the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards
0: the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well
1: What about the team that won the trophy last season? Six home defeats in a row. Um, remarkable. They've never had five before in their entire history. Now it's six. Um, Liverpool, discuss.
2: Well, I mean, it was 68 games before those six defeats mm. that they were unbeaten at Anfield. Um, I, I got here early and put it on in the car on my iPad, um, watching the game, and it was just before, just before Fulham scored the goal. I think I tweeted out, how bad are Liverpool? They're really bad.
1: Seven changes, I think, today.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, seven changes. But if you go back to the games in the last couple of weeks, I mean, when I say really bad, really bad in sight of how good they've been. I mean, this is a team over the last three years that I... Yeah, we all like different styles of football. For me... If you said to me, put Manchester City over the last three years against Liverpool over the last three years, I'm taking Liverpool all day long. The speed of play, the aggression in the play, the the style of play, I love it. I love it. I love the front three. I love the way in which the back four played. Um, the goalkeeper's outstanding. And this Manchester City team is a fantastic team, don't get me wrong. And it pains me to say it, that both of them are the biggest rivals for Manchester United. And, you know, Manchester, Liverpool have been absolutely outstanding and reached unbelievable heights. And I said that a few weeks ago on, you, on this podcast that it was acceptable and I was going to go easy on them, that they would have a little bit of a dip. That after three years, this is the fourth year, we could never do it a fourth year at Manchester United, there was always that dip. But this isn't a dip. You know, when we did, when we in a dip at United, it might be we didn't finish second or we might finish third. I mean, this is an absolute... Colla- collapse, it's a it? collapse. It's an absolute collapse. And they're woeful at the moment in every single way. And I don't know what it is. I'm sure there's no panic there. I mean, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp has got the he's got the experience, he's got the quality. And he'll know that, you know, ultimately he needs to get his team, this season needs to finish. Simple as that. He just needs to get this season over and just limp over the line. Uh, and, and, and wheelbarrow them over the line if he has to. Um, but then when he gets them to the end of the season, he's going to have to regroup. But then you think about the fact that there's the European Championships and then all of a sudden the season will start again pretty quickly. His players aren't going to get much of a rest. But they've got to regroup. They've got to make sure that the damage that's being done at this moment in time in terms of the confidence isn't long standing. And that the fact that they won the title last year and got to a Champions League final and won it the year before and the Champions League final and lost it the year before that, it's still the same group of players. Is that the problem? <laughs> Martin, I, I I don't see it being as bad as as, as I'm ne- I i do not I never think in football is as bad as it looks, and never thinks it's as good as as never it's as good as it looks. It's the same in television. <laughs> yeah, I, it's true, and we always punish ourselves when we sort of make a little mistake, don't we? And we, it's never people at home don't don't feel it the same way as we do, and that's what I'm sure the Liverpool players will be thinking at this moment in time. They'll be punishing themselves because look, you can't do what they've done in the last few years without being good professionals, great professionals, and great players. You don't get to two Champions League finals and do what they've done with City, you know, wrestle them right to the end and then win the title last year without being a fantastic team. But what's happening at the moment is bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, I'm having a right laugh, to be fair, but it's just having a bit of a joke with the fact that obviously it's been a difficult three years just watching them do what they've done. Um, But they're awful. They've just lost everything. It feels like they've lost absolutely everything that they had. The speed of play, the confidence, the the way in which Anfield was such a difficult place to go, the determination, the sort of resilience to win when they weren't playing well, there isn't anything there at the moment, and I don't know how they get that back other than get to the end of the season. They really are going to struggle to get into the top four. I mean, they still could, but they're really going to struggle because, like I say, the mood at the moment in the dressing room must be really low. It must be, you know, the confidence must be absolutely drained out of them. Uh, and I have no, I have no answer. It's be, it goes beyond just what would be a fourth-year dip. You know, this is a real, like you say, collapse. And um, they've got a great manager uh, who's done a brilliant job, and the owners have got a trust in him to put it right because he's done it for them now for four or five years, and I'm sure they will. And he's absolutely, you know, he's on. Under- He's an unsackable manager for the next five years, Jürgen Klopp, for what he's done at Liverpool. He just epitomises what they want, what they are. He's captured the sort of essence of what Liverpool is as a club. Uh, He plays football that's absolutely outstanding. um, And he's allowed a really bad season, and that's what's happening at the moment by the standards that they've set.
1: There's another side to that story, of course, Fulham, who are moving up under Scott Parker and playing some very good football, which has given them the the results that... Uh, and they, they went to Anfield believing they could win, and they did win, and that's changing the relegation
2: picture, isn't it? They looked doomed three or four months ago. Absolutely. Uh, there was a, a big gap developing between that bottom three and the ones above. But if you're Brighton and Newcastle now and you see the momentum, the, it's got confidence being drained, but then confidence being... The confidence in the Fulham dressing room must be sky high, and if you're sort of Newcastle and uh, Brighton looking at that today in particular you'll be thinking they'll be difficult to stop now because they look good. They look good in the shape. They look good in the performance levels. They look good in their individuals. They've got goals in the team. They've got individuals who look like they can go and win a match. And Scott Parker has done a fantastic job. But let's be clear, I think I might have told you this a few years ago when I was finishing off my part of my pro licence and uh, one of the coach educators, I was with the FA at the time working with Roy Hodgson and he particularly mentioned scott parker as being an outstanding student within the pro license cohort at that time that would have been four or five years ago uh it always stuck in my mind and th- this person doesn't get coaches wrong you know he's someone who's been someone who's been coaching coaches for a long long time and seen all you know a lot of the coaches that we see in the premier league come through the system and uh you, know, you particularly mentioned him and uh, it stuck out in my mind and you can see now you know no panic you talk about having experience at the bottom of the league Scott Parker's got no experience at the bottom of the league. He's got no experience of managing in the Premier League at all. So the reality of it is what he's doing at this moment in time is special. It's really special because it goes against everything that, you know, seven or eight years ago, 10 years ago, there would have been a period whereby I think that Scott Parker would have been sacked around Christmas or just before. And one of the old stalwarts would have been brought in to try and get you out, you know, bring the old experience head in. You know what Fulham have done there initially. I think in supporting Scott, which they had to do because they know they've got a, a great young coach, and then allowing that team to develop. Obviously, they uh, they recruited well in the end of the transfer window, in coming out of August, and he's now just started to build a momentum. The performances are good, and if you're Brighton, if you're Newcastle, you're really, really worried.
1: Final thing, the strangest moment of the weekend. We did talk about it earlier. The Granite Jacker mistake, yeah. the strangest goal in the Premier League. Uh, Chris Wood didn't really know how to celebrate it, hit him on the hip (laughs) and went in. Um, The justification of playing from the back is, obviously, all the top teams are doing it, so there's purpose there, but do you have to risk a moment like that to keep this philosophy going?
2: Well, it's got to the point now, Martin, where I don't even highlight that as being a surprising mistake anymore. I think the man who manages this club here is responsible for that. I think it was 2011 in Rome, was it? The final? No, 2009 in Rome. That the, was the, the final and The in barcelona Rome, yeah. Manchester United final. Yeah, yeah. Where I first saw first-hand Piquet and I think it was Abidal. No, it was Jaiatore.
1: It was Jayatore. Yeah. center back, Playing at the back, yeah.
2: Split to like three yards off the touchline and Manchester United are playing. I'm in the stand, I'm injured at the time and me thinking... What are they doing? They're having a laugh, aren't they? We're going to counter-attack on them. We're going to win the game. And they pulled us apart eventually. And ever since that moment, in my mind, the sort of we then saw a few teams doing it after that. And I used to say, you can't copy Pep Guardiola. You can't copy Barcelona. But then more teams started to do it. And now every team's done it. And it really is credit to Pep. I know that he's had a bad day today. But the way in which he's influenced football over this last 10, 12 years has been incredible. You talk about a coach of a generation, you look back over the years of great coaches, you know, Saki at, at AC Milan with the pressurising and the pushing up the pitch. Um, you think of Stralix Ferguson with the risk. And the rotation of substitutes and the rotation of teams, which is, I think, something that he introduced uh, into certainly this, you know, the English football for the first time. The great coaches influence eras, not just with the results, but with the style of play and the way in which they approach the game. And what we saw yesterday is a goal now that we've seen quite a bit of. And I think gone are the days now where pundits sit there and say, oh, I can't believe, just knock it up the pitch, get it up there and hit the big one. We're probably not saying that anymore because the reality is we're not going to change the flow of football that exists. We see Manchester United do it here today away at the Etihad. You know, Maguire and Lindelof split on the six-yard box and Henderson playing it to them and popping it into McTominay at the edge of the box. Something that I would have felt wholly uncomfortable with during my football career. Uh, because it was something that we were told not to do you know you don't go back and get it off your goalkeeper off four yards out you don't play inside your own box Well, you couldn't do it in
1: those days from a goal kick could you even even till this season they couldn't do it but 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 it's part part of it isn't it now from from goal kicks to do it and and it has changed the game at at this level and it will be very interesting to see how it filters down from from this
2: level I think there's a number of things. One, the pitches are absolutely outstanding, which allow you to do it more than even 20 years ago. I think the technical ability of the players and I think the philosophy of the coaches. All these things mean it contributes to what... And the influence of Pep Guardiola in this last 10 years, but a specific coach. But then the other coaches off that thinking that's the right way to play. And I think that ultimately the way in which the goalkeepers are now play better than probably some outfield players would have done 20 years ago. uh, The game's changed and it should change. You know, we should welcome these changes. I think gone are the days now where I sit on Monday Night Football and would criticise Shaka. I would criticise him for the execution, but not for the principle. So uh, for me, now what we see in this is that this is the normality that the players are going to play out from the back in their own box. But... The execution of what he was trying was wrong. So the idea that he was given a bad pass by his goalkeeper, or he was given a bad pass by his teammate. No, I don't go along with that either. I think the reality of it is that that pass is expected to be given. they coach coached to give that pass to Xhaka there, and Shaka just gets it wrong. He doesn't scoop it, you know, he doesn't he doesn't either play it either side of Woods or just I think he tries probably just to sort of drift it over him. Yeah, he does with his weaker foot. Yeah. Think, yeah. yeah
1: um but it does it is exciting actually isn't it because that's a kind of goal that would never have happened before um, the ball's booted up to the halfway line and play commences from there. Now, as commentators, we have to watch every goal kick yeah. because it could easily happen. Well, not easily happen, but it, it could happen.
2: Well, we watch every goal kick because we know something like that could happen and teams can pressurise you. But even the last 15 minutes of this match today, Martin, you know, 15 years ago, that would have been balls being lumped into the box. 20 years ago, that would have been balls being played into the box. That would have been two big strikers maybe on the pitch. It would have been a completely different ending to a game than we've witnessed here today, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. You may see slightly different sh- changes in shape but the, the game is different. It's very different. I think that um, English players are benefiting from it. I think what's happened in the last five or ten years in, in the Premier League is that English coaches... English players we're now starting to see Steven Gerrard today we should mention him has won the Scottish League yeah, congratulations. up in Scotland yeah. Yeah. Scott Parker you know we, we thought there was a worry five, six, seven, eight years ago that English coaches were going into punditry that they weren't you know the best English minds if you like weren't going into the game but we're now starting to see that change Frank Lampard obviously has been at Chelsea this season um, so I do think there is a developing English, group of English coaches that are coming through John Terry's at Aston Villa Michael Carrick's on the bench here and there are m- many many more uh, but also the English players technically are so much better than they were 20 years ago. You know, you. Gascoigne was a freak, you know, and he still is a freak in some ways, but when we see players on the pitch like Phil Foden, then you see...
1: Mason Mount's goal the other night. Mason Mount. I think there are yeah. a
2: lot more technically gifted players in, the, in, in central midfield areas, number 10s, wide players, um, different types of talent than maybe existed you know, when I played for England, even certainly before that, where there were really great players. Don't get me wrong, but they were being coached in a different era, where a winger had to cross the ball. Winger doesn't cross the ball that much anymore. He plays his way in. He dribbles. He so sort of finds pockets. Um, and he the cuts game
1: cuts in and shoots on his stronger
2: foot. He now does, yeah. <laughs> he, he inverted wingers, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's something I never really had to face as a fullback. I usually played against left, a left-footed player more often than not. So no, it's, the game has changed dramatically. We're not going to ever change that back and why should we? Because it is the development of the game and I do think that the, the, the influence of, of, of Pep Guardiola, of, of, of Jurgen Klopp, um, Maurizio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho, all these great coaches we've had. If you could say to me about the Premier League in the last five or six years and why I think it's gone back up to being the one that's challenging in Europe year in, year out again. It's the influence of the coaches. Do you know what we used to say about we we need the best players in the world coming to England rather than going to Barcelona and Real Madrid? I I disagree. We need the best coaches in the world coming to England because that influences our game, influences our players in the Premier League, but also influences the English coaches and the English players. And it's more important that we have the best coaches than we have the best players because the best coaches will make the best players uh, and, and I think we've seen that in the last few years, Conte coming to England as well, T- Thomas Tuchel now obviously, we, you know, we're seeing a lot of really great coaches coming to the country I think I'd better let you go and celebrate what an, I mean, what a super Sunday. You can't get much better than that. I mean you just you just drift down drift, you drift down the M sixty, you are thinking not not a lot's gonna happen. You get in the car park, you put your iPad on, you think, Oh, Fulham are playing well, and then they go and win one nil, you think, Well, that's a good start to the day. And then Manchester United go and beat City two nil and then you think to yourself, right, I've got to go home now. I'm gonna have am I'm gonna have a lamb dinner, I'm gonna have a glass of red wine, I might even have a cheese board. I may even go on a little bit further on that. You're know, that finishing beer that you sometimes have. Are we allowed to talk about this on podcast? <laughs> the children will listen, but it could be one hell of a night in, the, well, in, the, in Neville household. There's only four of us. I mean, there's no one else coming. And the kids go back to school tomorrow. The kids go back to school. It's actually my daughter's birthday today as well. Happy birthday, Sophie. She's 11. So, yeah, um, I mean, to be fair, she's a massive United fan. Too early to start drinking, obviously, but <laughs> but, but she's a uh, yeah. She's had a good day, I'm sure, without me.